of Human Bondage by W. Somerset Maugham. Chapter 73, Segment 1. Three weeks later, Philip saw Mildred and her baby off to Brighton. She had made a quick recovery and looked better than he had ever seen her. She was going to a boarding house where she had spent a couple of weekends with Emil Miller and had written to say that her husband was obliged to go to Germany on business and she was coming down with her baby. She got pleasure out of the story she invented and she showed a certain fertility of invention in the working out of the details. Mildred proposed to find in Brighton some woman who would be willing to take charge of the baby. Philip was startled at the callousness with which she insisted on getting rid of it so soon, but she argued with common sense that the poor child had much better be put somewhere before it grew used to her. Philip had expected the maternal instinct to make itself felt when she had had the baby two or three weeks and had counted on this to help him persuade her to keep it, but nothing of the sort occurred. Mildred was not unkind to her baby. She did all that was necessary. It amused her sometimes, and she liked a good deal about it, but her heart was indifferent to it. She could not look upon it as part of herself. She fancied it resembled its father already. She was continually wondering how she would manage when it grew older, and she was exasperated with herself for being such a fool as to have it at all. If I'd only known then all I do now, she said. She laughed at Philip because he was anxious about its welfare. You couldn't make more fuss if you was the father, she said. I'd like to see Emil getting into such a stew about it. Philip's mind was full of the stories he had heard of baby farming and the ghouls who ill-treat the wretched children that selfish, cruel parents have put in their charge. Don't be silly, said Mildred. That's when you give a woman a sum down to look after a baby. But when you're going to pay so much a week, it's in their interest to look after it well. Philip insisted that Mildred should place the child with people who had no children of their own and would promise to take no other. Don't haggle about the price, he said. I'd rather pay half a guinea a week than run any risk of the child being starved or beaten. You're a funny old thing, Philip, she laughed. To him, there was something very touching in the child's helplessness. It was small, ugly, and querulous. Its birth had been looked forward to with shame and anguish. Nobody wanted it. It was dependent on him, a stranger, for food, shelter, and clothes to cover its nakedness. As the train started, he kissed Mildred. He would have kissed the baby too, but he was afraid she would laugh at him. You will write to me, darling, won't you? And I shall look forward to your coming back with oh such impatience. Mind you get through your exam. He had been working for it industriously, and now with only ten days before him, he made a final effort. He was very anxious to pass, first to save himself time and expense, for money had been slipping through his fingers during the last four months with incredible speed, and then because this examination marked the end of the drudgery. After that, the student had to do with medicine, midwifery, and surgery, the interest of which was more vivid than the anatomy and physiology with which he had been hitherto concerned. Philip looked forward with interest to the rest of the curriculum. Nor did he want to have to confess to Mildred that he had failed. Though the examination was difficult and the majority of candidates were plowed at the first attempt, he knew that she would think less well of him if he did not succeed. She had a particularly humiliating way of showing what she thought. End of segment one.
Chapter 73, Segment 2 Mildred sent him a postcard to announce her safe arrival, and he snatched half an hour every day to write a long letter to her. He had always a certain shyness in expressing himself by word of mouth, but he found he could tell her, pen in hand, all sorts of things which it would have made him feel ridiculous to say. Profiting by the discovery, he poured out to her his whole heart. He had never been able to tell her before how his adoration filled every part of him so that all his actions, all his thoughts were touched with it. He wrote to her of the future, the happiness that lay before him, and the gratitude which he owed her. He asked himself, he had often asked himself but had never put it into words, what it was in her that filled him with such extravagant delight. He did not know. He knew only that when she was with him he was happy, and when she was away from him the world was on a sudden cold and gray. He knew only that when he thought of her his heart seemed to grow big in his body so that it was difficult to breathe as if it pressed against his lungs, and it throbbed so that the delight of her presence was almost pain. His knees shook, and he felt strangely weak as though, not having eaten, he were tremulous from want of food. He looked forward eagerly to her answers. He did not expect her to write often, for he knew that letter writing came difficult to her. And he was quite content with the clumsy little note that arrived in reply to four of his. She spoke of the boarding house in which she had taken a room, of the weather and the baby, told him she had been for a walk on the front with the lady friend whom she had met in the boarding house and who had taken such a fancy to baby. She was going to the theater on Saturday night and Brighton was filling up. It touched Philip because it was so matter-of-fact. The crabbed style, the formality of the matter, gave him a queer desire to laugh and to take her in his arms and kiss her. He went into the examination with happy confidence. There was nothing in either of the papers that gave him trouble. He knew that he had done well, and though the second part of the examination was viva voce, and he was more nervous, he managed to answer the questions adequately. He sent a triumphant telegram to Mildred when the result was announced. When he got back to his rooms, Philip found a letter from her, saying that she thought it would be better for her to stay another week in Brighton. She had found a woman who would be glad to take the baby for seven shillings a week, but she wanted to make inquiries about her, and she was herself benefiting so much by the sea air that she was sure a few days more would do her no end of good. She hated asking Philip for money, but would he send some by return, and she had had to buy herself a new hat. She couldn't go about with her lady friend always in the same hat, and her lady friend was so dressy. Philip had a moment of bitter disappointment. It took away all his pleasure at getting through his examination. If she loved me one quarter as much as I love her, she couldn't bear to stay away a day longer than necessary. He put the thought away from him quickly. It was pure selfishness. Of course her health was more important than anything else. But he had nothing to do now. He might spend the week with her in Brighton, and they could be together all day. His heart leaped at the thought. It would be amusing to appear before Mildred suddenly with the information that he had taken a room in the boarding house. He looked out trains, but he paused. He was not certain that she would be pleased to see him. She had made friends in Brighton. He was quiet, and she liked boisterous joviality. He realized that she amused herself more with other people than with him. It would torture him if he felt that for an instant he would be in the way. He was afraid to risk it. 
He dared not even write and suggest that. With nothing to keep him in town, he would like to spend the week where he could see her every day. She knew he had nothing to do. If she wanted him to come, she would have asked him to. He dared not risk the anguish he would suffer if he proposed to come, and she made excuses to prevent him. End of segment two. Chapter 73, Segment 3 He wrote to her the next day, sent her a five-pound note, and at the end of his letter said that if she were very nice and cared to see him for the weekend, he would be glad to run down, but she was by no means to alter any plans she had made. He awaited her answer with impatience. In it, she said that if she had only known before, she could have arranged it, but she had promised to go to a music hall on the Saturday night. Besides, it would make the people at the boarding house talk if he stayed there. Why did he not come on Sunday morning and spend the day? They could lunch at the Metropole, and she would take him afterwards to see the very superior ladylike person who was going to take the baby. Sunday, he blessed the day because it was fine. As the train approached Brighton, the sun poured through the carriage window. Mildred was waiting for him on the platform. How jolly of you to come and meet me, he cried as he seized her hands. You expected me, didn't you? I hoped you would. I say how well you're looking. It's done me a rare lot of good, but I think I'm wise to stay here as long as I can, and there are a very nice class of people at the boarding house. I want it cheering up after seeing nobody all these months. It was dull sometimes. She looked very smart in her new hat, a large black straw with a great many inexpensive flowers on it, and round her neck floated a long boa of imitation swansdown. She was still very thin, and she stooped a little when she walked. She had always done that, but her eyes did not seem so large, and though she never had any color, her skin had lost the earthy look it had. They walked down to the sea. Philip, remembering he had not walked with her for months, grew suddenly conscious of his limp and walked swiftly in an attempt to conceal it. "'Are you glad to see me?' he asked, love dancing madly in his heart. "'Of course I am. You needn't ask that. "'By the way, Griffith sends you his love. "'What cheek!' "'He had talked to her a great deal of Griffith's. "'He had told her how flirtatious he was "'and had amused her often with the narration "'of some adventure which Griffith, under seal of secrecy, "'had imparted to him. "'Mildred had listened with some pretense of disgust sometimes, "'but generally with curiosity.' and Philip, admiringly, had enlarged upon his friend's good looks and charm. I'm sure you'll like him just as much as I do. He's so jolly and amusing, and he's such an awfully good sort. Philip told her how, when they were perfect strangers, Griffiths had nursed him through an illness, and in the telling, Griffiths' self-sacrifice lost nothing. You can't help liking him, said Philip. I don't like good-looking men, said Mildred. They're too conceited for me. He wants to know you. I've talked to him about you an awful lot. What have you said? asked Mildred. Philip had no one but Griffiths to talk to of his love for Mildred, and little by little he told him the whole story of his connection with her. He described her to him fifty times. He dwelt amorously on every detail of her appearance, and Griffiths knew exactly how thin her hands were and how white her face was, and he laughed at Philip when he talked of the charm of her pale, thin lips. "'By Jove, I'm glad I don't take things so badly as that,' he said. 
life wouldn't be worth living. End of segment three. Chapter 73, Segment 4 Philip smiled. Griffiths did not know the delight of being so madly in love that it was like meat and wine and the air one breathed and whatever else was essential to existence. Griffiths knew that Philip looked after the girl while she was having her baby and was now going away with her. Well, I must say you've deserved to get something, he remarked. It must have cost you a pretty penny. It's lucky you can afford it. I can't, said Philip, but what do I care? Since it was early for lunch and Philip and Mildred sat in one of the shelters on the parade, sunning themselves and watched the people pass. There were the Brighton shop boys who walked in twos and threes, swinging their canes, and there were the Brighton shop girls who tripped along in giggling bunches. They could tell the people who had come down from London for the day. The keen air gave Philip to their weariness. There were many Jews, stout ladies in tight satin dresses and diamonds, little corpulent men with gesticulative manner. There were middle-aged gentlemen spending the weekend in one of the large hotels, carefully dressed, and they walked industriously after too substantial a breakfast to give themselves an appetite for too substantial a luncheon. They exchanged the time of day with friends and talked of Dr. Brighton or London by the sea. Here and there a well-known actor passed, elaborately unconscious of the attention he excited. Sometimes he wore patent leather boots, a coat with an astrakhan collar, and carried a silver knob stick. And sometimes, looking as though he had come from a day's shooting, he strolled in knickerbockers and ulsters of Harris tweed, and a tweed hat on the back of his head. The sun shone on the blue sea, and the blue sea was trim and neat. After luncheon, they went to Hove to see the woman who was to take charge of the baby. She lived in a small house in a back street, but it was clean and tidy. Her name was Mrs. Harding. She was an elderly, stout person with gray hair and a red, flashy face. She looked motherly in her cap, and Philip thought she seemed kind. "'Won't you find it an awful nuisance to look after a baby?' he asked her. She explained that her husband was a curate, a good deal older than herself, who had difficulty in getting permanent work since vicars wanted young men to assist them. He earned a little now, and then by doing locums when someone took a holiday or fell ill, and a charitable institution gave them a small pension. But her life was lonely. It would be something to do to look after a child, and the few shillings a week paid for it would help her to keep things going. She promised that it would be well fed. Quite the lady, isn't she? said Mildred when they went away. They went back to have tea at the Metropole. Mildred liked the crowd and the band. Philip was tired of talking, and he watched her face as she looked with keen eyes at the dresses of the women who came in. She had a peculiar sharpness for reckoning up what things cost, and now and then she leaned over to him and whispered the result of her meditations. Do you see that agret there? That costs every bit of seven guineas. Or, look at that ermine, Philip. That's rabbit, that is. That's not ermine. She laughed triumphantly. I'd know it a mile off. Philip smiled happily. He was glad to see her pleasure, and the ingenuousness of her conversation amused and touched him. The band played sentimental music. After dinner, they walked down to the station, and Philip took her arm. He told her what arrangements he had made for their journey to France. She was to come up to London at the end of the week, 
but she told him that she could not get away till Saturday of the week after that. He had already engaged a room in a hotel in Paris. He was looking forward eagerly to taking the tickets. You won't mind going second class, will you? We mustn't be extravagant, and it'll be all the better if we can do ourselves pretty well when we get there. He had talked to her a hundred times of the quarter. They would wander through its pleasant old streets, and they would sit idly in the charming gardens of the Luxembourg. If the weather was fine, perhaps, when they had had enough of Paris, they might go to Fontainebleau. The trees would be just bursting into leaf. The green of the forest and the spring was more beautiful than anything he knew. It was like a song, and it was like the happy pain of love. Mildred listened quietly. He turned to her and tried to look deep into her eyes. "'You do want to come, don't you?' he said. "'Of course I do,' she smiled. "'You don't know how I'm looking forward to it. "'I don't know how I shall get through the next days. "'I'm so afraid something will happen to prevent it. "'It maddens me sometimes that I can't tell you how much I love you. "'And at last, at last!' he broke off. "'They reached the station, but they had dawdled on the way, "'and Philip had barely time to say good night.' He kissed her quickly and ran towards the wicket as fast as he could. She stood where he left her. He was strangely grotesque when he ran. End of segment four.